What's up everybody, Cheeseburger Kamish here, and as the smoke has cleared from what was the For the Fame Fantasy Baseball trade deadline and the actual MLB trade deadline, we now sit here two weeks away from our first matchup in the playoffs, two weeks away from the season pretty much being over, and we will be crowning the weirdest yet still deserving 2020 for the Fame Fantasy Baseball Champion. And things are definitely a little bit weird. We're only seven weeks into a season. And it feels like it's just getting started. And we're going to watch it come to a close. In my opinion, it definitely was better than no season at all. But nonetheless, it is still very weird to look at teams and players at the bottom of the standings. So, for example, you look at a team like Matt Boxell, who's 1-4. He's historically one of the better teams in our league, he definitely would def- he would definitely be in it still by the end of the year, but seven weeks leaves him no wiggle room for any sort of slump. Same thing with players. I finally succumbed to the pressure that Mike Perrier had probably about two weeks ago when he dropped Ada Alberto Mondesi. I couldn't handle having him on my roster anymore, watching him strike out two to three times a game. And maybe that's a player you hang on to if the season goes longer. But there's really no time to keep a player on your roster that's going to take up space and you have no intention on keeping him uh, for the 2020 season. Or should I say the 2021 season. So we'll get into a couple of the trades made. We'll get into some of the MLB actual trades made. Of course, with the fantasy baseball implications in mind. And we'll talk a little bit about the teams that became sellers overnight. Teams that are unlikely, but they are in first place. Teams that we're not used to seeing there. And we will break down everything. I'll go over some of the rules for next year. uh, Reminders of the keeper changes. And just get you guys up to speed about what next year will look like. Because believe it or not, in about four weeks, five weeks, we're going to be talking about potentially getting ready for keepers. Um... And we have to make sure that we're all on the same page with that. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I know that this is probably a better way to get the information across than just posting in the group me chat. I know a lot of information goes through that chat so much that people have the chat muted because obviously notification is going to be a pain during the week when you have work and Maybe you're using your phone and you don't want to see all the notifications, which I get. Just make sure you are checking the GroupMe chat because there is some important information that goes on in there, especially polls when we're voting on changes. People were a little bit better earlier in the year where I think we had eight of the ten teams vote. So if you're one of those teams that potentially doesn't look at the GroupMe chat or doesn't vote in the polls, please do so because it helps me and helps the rest of the league decide on change that is for the majority and for the good of the league. So I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page with that. Uh, I just want to jump right back into the trades that were made in our league. I'll talk a little bit about the trades that the, the real teams made in the MLB and how that will affect some of the teams in our league. But most importantly, the things we're dealing with are fantasy baseball related. So the trades that happened in our our league were surprising to me, and they literally came down to the wire. So I think 11.48 p.m. is when two trades went down. 
right at the deadline, right at the wire, and it got hot at the end. And the thing is, the reason that players and, I mean, I should say managers were a little bit hesitant to trade is because everyone was locked up after week four. So after week five ended and a team like Bazada, who with a swing of a few points could have actually been in competition and been a buyer, became a seller within about 20 minutes. So he tried to unload all the players that weren't deemed to be keepable in his his future for 2021 and he tried to stock up on young players, which is something that is very important in this league. If you look at my team, for example, Fernando Tatis Jr. has become the star and face of MLB, maybe. Number one ranked in points. I have him under control for the next few years before he even becomes the number one pick. And he'd be guaranteed to be a number one overall pick in most redraft leagues. So it's important to get your hands on these players early and... I would say majority of the top 50 prospects are locked up. You have, you know, trades being made with future in mind. So for Bizzotta, the biggest trade he made, I would say, was with Mike Perrier, who was looking for the now. He's trying to get his second championship, and he's looking to compete. Sitting at 3-2 and two, and sitting at 2-3 and three is a world of difference. So sitting at three and two, Perrier is going for it, while two and three, Bazada is taking off all the excess on his team and looking forward to next year. So Bazada sent over Josh Hader, the closer of the, the Brewers, who just blew a save on Sunday night, Patrick Corbin, who has been struggling for the Nationals, and Whit Merrifield. So Perrier is shored up his rotation, his bullpen, and he also has a very reliable offensive player in Whit Merrifield, who's eligible for second base, center field, and right field. Uh, he is 27th ranked overall in points. He has the flexibility of being um, anywhere on your roster, having that flexibility to have him at the utility spot in center field or right field or at second base is huge, especially with all these off days and the postponements and players that are maybe sitting or get hurt. So that offensive addition to Perry's roster will definitely be a huge upgrade. As for Patrick Corbin, he is an ace. Or on paper, he's an ace. But he has not pitched that way. Only two wins on the year, a 3.82 ERA. The whip looks okay, but he's not the same pitcher that he was two, three years ago. And his velocity is down, which is the most concerning part. But all Perry is hoping for is that Patrick Corbin is a little bit more of the pitcher that we know him to be for the remainder of the year. He just has to get three three solid weeks out of this pitcher to shore up his rotation because pitching is so thin. So what he would get from the waiver wire is nothing compared to what he potentially can get from Patrick Corbin. So I do like that move for him. And then Josh Hader, he is, again, Sunday was not the best show for him, but he is someone who is... Uh, lock solid in the bullpen. He will get you saves in bunches. So he had a save last night, uh, Monday night, because I'm recording this Tuesday afternoon. Um, three strikeouts, the best you can get, three points and a save. So 
he gets them in bunches. The Brewers are a team that scores a lot, and they're going to be in position to win games. So Hayter is someone who is really nice to have on your roster. Even with that blown save on uh, Sunday night, he has a 1.69 ERA, under one whip, eight saves on the year. So Hayter will be definitely someone that Perrier re- relies on in the next three weeks and in the playoffs. Uh, all right, so looking at Pizzotta's return, he was looking young and prospects and controllable future. So looking at Bobby Witt Jr., he got he's similar to a Whit Merrifield. Um, if he is what Mid- Whit Merrifield winds up being, the Royals will be lucky. They're hoping that he's a little bit better than Whit Merrifield. Right now, he's only eligible for shortstop, but I imagine he's going to play all over the diamond for the Kansas City Royals when he's called up. His estimated time of arrival in the MLB is probably about a year away, two years away, so Bazada has some time. He can stash him and then get ready to pull him up if Bazada chooses to keep him with one of his four non-active keepers. Uh, the gem of this deal for Bazada is Casey Mize, who is touted as being maybe the next Justin Verlander for the Detroit Tigers. He is someone that has been touted in the system for the for the Tigers and also in our circle for a bit. He's been the, he's been definitely um, someone that someone that teams were trying to acquire. I know I've reached out to Perrier trying to acquire Casey Mize, and the thing is that people I'm not saying anyone in our league is doing this, but the value of Casey Mize may be a little bit down right now because he got called up. And he has not pitched as well as maybe some would have liked. So he's only he's pitched three times, um, but has not got, gotten out of the fourth inning, or I should say the fifth inning of the first game. He had seven strikeouts, but gave up three earned runs. Uh, his next time outing against the Cubs, he had three earned runs and walked two, only two strikeouts, and only went three and a third. And then on the 30th, he went three again, two earned runs, two walks, two uh, with four strikeouts. So that's not the Casey Mize you're going to be getting. Casey Mize, when he's fully ready and fully capable of being in on a major league roster, he will be someone who's consistently giving you six to seven inning games with quality starts. That's the guy you're looking for if, if Bazzotta's lucky. Projections might be wrong sometimes, but all experts and all... Um, projections have Casey Mize being that top of the rotation ace that not only major league teams are looking for, but fantasy baseball teams are looking for. So Casey Mize will be under control with Bazada for the for you know for the the future. Um, so the thing is with Casey Mize and the conversation I was having with Bazada about Casey Mize after he acquired him was he was wondering about his rookie eligibility, especially the fact that he's been up since probably mid-August on the main roster. So the way it works, just to remind everybody, for pitchers and for position players to be remain rookie, rookie eligible, which means they're eligible to win the Rookie of the Year award, and they have one-year service time in the league, is 50 innings pitch for... Uh, pitchers. So right now, I believe Casey Mize is at about seven and a half. So there's no way he's going to get up to 50 next year. So he definitely would be uh, eligible for an NA spot next year. And then also for a position player, you cannot exceed 130 at bats. Um, so some of the rookies that we're looking at that are getting called up, um, I believe 
like let's look at uh, Estevan Florio for the Yankees, who got called up last week when the Yankees got thwarted with injuries. He was called up and saw a few at bats, so he was up for a little bit. And I'm looking at his team. He literally only had three at bats, so he's been called up. He only played one out of the five days that he actually was eligible to be on the Yankees roster before being sent back down to the alternate training site. He had three at bats, so. He will be rookie eligible next year, obviously, as well, as long as he doesn't exceed 130 at-bats as well. So so if you guys have any questions about your potential NA keepers or their eligibility to be uh, in that slot next year, please just feel free to ask me. You can ask in the group or you can just text me on the side. Um, or you can just look it up yourself. So you can just check if you have an NA player that's been called up for a portion of this year. Make sure that they haven't exceeded 50 innings pitched if they're a pitcher or they have not exceeded 130 at-bats if they are a position player. Hopefully that makes sense. So the other trades we are looking at involve Bazada as well. It was between me and Bazada, and this was worked in person. And it came really just in conversation as Bazada became a seller like I, I opened with, literally in the swing of a few points. So... Bizada got his hands on Mike Soroka and Forrest Whitley in exchange for Luis Castillo, the supposed ace, or I guess 1B to Trevor Bauer on the Cincinnati Reds, Luis Castillo. So Bizada got Soroka, who not only, um, obviously he's hurt for the year, he tore his Achilles, so he is absolutely done for the 2020 season, but he has plenty of rehab time to get ready for 2021 spring training and hopefully return to form and hopefully return to his ace form that he showed in his rookie year. So Mike Soroka is someone who can be kept in the under five year rule. So you can also keep a player that is under five years of um, time in the major leagues. So there are many players on your rosters that are under five year eligible so Mike Soroka is going to definitely fall in that position for Bizada if he wants to keep him. And he also received Forrest Whitley, who was the number 24, number 24 on the Baseball Almanac's prospect list, and I believe the Astros' number one pitching prospect. So he is someone that has an estimated arrival time of 2021, so he should be pitching in the major leagues next year um, for, the, for the Houston Astros. And they definitely will need uh, an ace or need a frontline starter because obviously Cole left for this year for the Yankees and Verlander is getting older. So as I'm hurting with that, Verlander is someone that is going to pitch next year. I think he's motivated to do that, but how much longer can he do that? And some of these young arms in the Astro system have to be uh, ready to, you know, to get started. All right, and finally, the other trade that we had was the third and final trade, and it was the first one, kind of the first domino to fall, uh, was Alicia, who is now 0-5, unfortunately, and Devin, who's right in the mix at 3-2 and to make the playoffs. So Alicia received Alex Verdugo and Alex Karuloff from Minnesota, so he's the N.A., Prospect and Verdugo was the center fielder on Boston that was involved in the Mookie Betts trade. Sir Verdugo has been solid for Boston. It's pretty much the only player, maybe him and Christian Vasquez, 
have had shown has shown any sign of life for that team. Uh, the Red Sox have been absolutely abysmal this year. It's not only pitching, but overall, the whole team has just seemed absolutely checked out. But Alex Verdugo has seemed like a bright spot, and I think he's going to be a fan favorite in Boston for many years to come. He's ranked 59th overall in points. He's currently batting 306, five home runs, 12 ribbies, and three stolen bases. So he's been pretty consistent for Devin, but he had to give up a little bit to get one of those rare and elusive pitchers. So let's take a look at Jose Barrios, who he received. Again, much like Luis Castillo, who was on the move, uh, he has not pitched up to his potential. Um, Jose Barrios, when right, is the top, you know, a top starter in this league. But he has not been good. Aside from a couple of glimpses of greatness, he has only two wins. He has an uh, almost a five ERA at 4.75, a whip almost at 1.5. Um, only 39 strikeouts. Um, back on August 20th, he went six innings strong with nine Ks, showed glimpses of potentially coming to form, but fell you know, back to mediocre ways, coming short of a quality start against Cleveland his last time out on the 26th. So Devin is hoping that Jose Barrios can return to form and be the ace that he so desperately needs for the playoff push. So looking at all the teams that made trades that were buyers first. So Devin added, obviously, Jose Barrios, as I just mentioned, to an already decent pitching staff. So he has Jack Flaherty, who has been really the rock-solid ace of his team, um, allegedly. He has a 1.93 ERA, but he has not pitched as well either. Again, it's a weird year for pitchers. So a lot of the guys that you are used to relying on maybe haven't gotten started yet. So in a, you know, seven weeks into a 22-week season, these guys may get hot and may be able to turn around a season as time goes on. But in a shortened seven-week season, we don't have time to wait around. Uh, he also has Lucas Giolito, who's ranked five in points, but that's obviously um, a little bit top-heavy in points because of his, his no-hitter on the 25th of August. So that 26th spot um, took his points up to the next level. But Giolito has been really solid for Devin, and he's someone that we've all had our eyes on. Obviously, he's a Washington National prospect. He was drafted by them. He was involved in that Adam Eaton trade, and everyone sort of um, thought the Nats were crazy for, uh, for trading Giolito. And it didn't look like they were they were wrong until probably probably this year, where Giolito um, has been anchoring that staff along with Dallas Keuchel in Chicago, who surprisingly, you know, in first place in the AL Central. Um, other pitchers that are on Devin's roster, he has a decent bullpen with Mark Melanson and Ryan Presley. So Melanson has seven saves. Ryan Presley, I believe, is the setup man mostly for Houston but he has been closing as of late um for uh for Houston they're again one of those teams that a little bit of a struggle to get started this year so saves have been hard to come by uh, the other pitcher I really like for Devin's team uh is Sixto Sanchez who is a prospect in the Miami system he got called up probably I think a couple weeks ago but on the 28th, he went seven strong, 10 Ks. He's someone that's highly touted. 
He went undrafted this year, I believe, and he's someone that may be helping Devin carry his roster to a playoff spot. Um, the things that Devin is missing is the fact that Steven Strasburg looks like he's out for the year. Um, he underwent surgery for carpal tunnel in his right hand. So he was ruled out by GM Mike Rizzo. Um, but he is optimistic that he will be returning to full strength in 2021. Now Devin has a decision make. Do you, does he keep Steven Strasburg? Um, although he was drafted decently high, obviously pitching flew off the board. So pitchers just flew off the board, as you saw um, in the draft. Um, Luis Castillo went in the third round with Bazada. So if you look at the teams that drafted pitching high, Garrett Cole went first overall for Travis. Um, it means we Bazada had Patrick Corbin in the second round, Luis Castillo in the third round. Jimmy drafted Noah Syndergaard, who's obviously out for the year. Travis drafted Chris Paddock in the third round and Charlie Morton. And then Zach Granke. Um, notice the trend here. None of these guys have really worked out. Um, looking at other teams that drafted high pitching, Jacob DeGrom, who has struggled to get wins, and the bullpen has done what they usually do to Jacob DeGrom and blown leads for him. Uh, I took Max Scherzer, who was at majority of the year. I kept him. And Justin Verlander. Oh, I actually drafted Max Scherzer and then kept Justin Verlander, who is battling a hamstring injury and allegedly is coming back, but... Uh, well, I'll be very surprised if he does. Uh, Walker Bueller, who's out for Boxell, and so on and so forth. All these pitchers who we had high hopes for are struggling and or injured. So if I read you the list of pitchers that are leaders in points, some of the names would probably shock you. I'm sure some of you have looked at it. Um, but top of the list, we have Shane Bieber with Greg, and obviously Greg is in second place looking at first place. Uh, the defending champion, Shane Bieber, really came out of nowhere last year and is probably the best pitcher, if not the second best pitcher, in fantasy baseball this year. Trevor Bauer has been awesome for Jimmy and has swelled his record to 4-1. and one. The fact that Trevor Bauer has been so boisterous and outspoken against the Astros and against Rob Manfred's punishment of the Astros. Um, it's great for baseball. He has two complete games, a benefit of the fact that uh, the seven-inning doubleheaders, that has changed a lot this year for us. So these pitchers that may have not gone nine, they went full game, seven innings, with all these doubleheaders that are lined up. Trevor Bauer has benefited from that. But even, even so, not, in, not even when he goes complete game. Uh, on August 7th against Milwaukee, he had 12 Ks, six strong quality start, one earned run. So his worst start as of late was the 24th, um, four earned runs. So this guy has been rock solid for Jimmy, and he's a big reason that Jimmy is uh, standing in first place. So he's a team that we are not used to seeing there. Jimmy is usually a team that is not a seller. He hangs on and uh, tries to compete but we're not used to seeing him at the top of the standings board. Uh, other pitchers that are top of the line, we have Lance Lynn, who Perrier has, Hugh Darvish, who Karen has, Garrett Cole has 43 points for Travis, Sonny Gray for Perrier, Dylan Bundy for Jimmy, Jacob deGrom for Alicia, Max Scherzer I own, Max Freed that Greg has, Kenta Maeda, Aaron Savali, 
Marco Gonzalez, who I own, who just had a complete game yesterday, so his number is a little bit inflated. He really hasn't been that good. Kyle Hendricks, Zach Allen, who Bizzotta loves, Aaron Nola, Clayton Kershaw, Tyler Glasnow, uh, and so on and so forth. And there's lots of names on the rest of the list that would surprise you. So if you had Bieber, Bauer, Giolito, Lynn, and Darvish as your top five pitchers of 2020, congrats, you won. But just kidding. You didn't really have those guys predicted to be your number one pitchers. I mean, maybe Bieber you thought would be up there, but, I mean, come on. Lance Lynn is a top four pitcher. You Darvish is a top five pitcher. And Garrett Cole, not in the top five? Come on. Pretty ridiculous. 2020 has been an absolute uh, mess as far as roster management has been. Uh, I've had to add two more IL spots because of the disaster that not only of COVID-positive teams, but uh, all these injuries from players that were either not ready to play or returned from an injury too soon. The IL spots have been an absolute disaster. Um, That paired with the postponements, everyone has been dealing with an absolute mess of the season. So I think whoever comes out of this as the 2020 For the Fame champion has earned it. Though it's been an abbreviated season, it's been a shortened season, uh, some would say it's not the war of attrition that we are usually used to, with the baseball season, I think the winner and the champion will be not only uh, justified, but they should be celebrated because this has been a really challenging season to keep our rosters in shape, to find these gems, and to be able to deal with the fact that you can't even stream any of these pitchers from the waiver wire. I mean, if you do do it, uh, it's an absolute crapshoot because these guys are not reliable you're more more likely to get less points than anything if you if you put any of these guys on your team, and you're really taking a risk. So the only reason I would ever have to stream a player off of the waiver wire is if I'm down big and I need to throw a dart at the wall. Other than that, um, I'd rather almost have no one starting than have to pick from a pool of these pitchers left on the waiver wire. So as a reminder, just to be clear about the keepers. So I've had questions from some of the managers that were unclear about preparing for next year as the trade deadline passed. So just as a reminder, you were able to keep one position player, one pitcher, one under five-year player. So that could be position player or or position player or pitcher under five years of service time in the Major League Baseball, and four of your NAs. So if you held on to your NAs from the draft, you can keep them. Uh, there's only four NA spots on your on your uh, roster. But don't get this confused with players that are on the NA slot because of whatever COVID test or they're just not playing this year. If they are not rookie eligible, you cannot keep them as your NA keeper. I hope that makes sense. So right now, for example, Mike, Mike Clevenger, who is a San Diego Padre, who I love that trade for them, by the way, and they didn't have to give up any of their top prospects and got a top-of-the-line starter for their team. I absolutely love it. Anyway, Mike Clevenger, who was part of all this controversy with the Cleveland Indians when him and Zach Plesak had gone out uh, while they were in, I forget what city, but they went out and they exposed themselves and their teammates, and they were pretty much blackballed by, and rightfully so, by the Cleveland Indians' not only clubhouse, but their management. So that ultimately led to Mike Clevenger being traded, and 
he has not pitched for Cleveland since this all went down. Same thing with Zach Plesak. Plesak returned off the NA list, but point being, he was sitting on the NA slot. So say this season ended and Mike Clevenger was still under the NA slot, you could not keep him because he is not rookie eligible. So I hope that makes sense. So don't come to me with your NA keepers and try to sneak a guy that just didn't play this year. It's not going to happen. So make sure that your NA keepers are all rookie, rookie eligible. And if you have any questions about it, please let me know. So at this point, really there's no trades that can happen, obviously, because the trade deadline passed. But just so you know, it is one position player, one pitcher, one under five-year either pitcher or position player, and then four of your NAs. So you will lose the draft pick of where they were drafted unless they were kept multiple years in a row. In that case, follow the tiered table that I give you every year uh, with the draft kit. So just take a look. Um, where they would fall, and if you have a question about if you kept a player two years in a row, where they would, I have no problem telling you. It's a pretty easy formula to figure out. Okay, now that that's out of the way. The other thing is we have the playoffs that are popping up. We usually have six playoff teams. This year we have four. So we're having two weeks of the playoffs. The semifinals, are we're just jumping right in, begin the September 14th. So that's in two weeks. So the consolation bracket is how we determine – who gets the first round pick? So what's going to happen here is we are going to have the top four teams are going to make the playoffs. They're going to decide who the champion is. But the bottom four teams are going to qualify for the consolation bracket, which means that if the season ended today, our four consolation bracket teams would be Travis, Bazada, Boxell, and Alicia. So they would face each other in a consolation bracket, and they would... Um, decide who gets the number one pick. So the winner of the consolation bracket would obviously get the number one pick. The runner-up would get the second pick. Um, the person who wins the who wins out of the third, who finishes third in the consolation bracket, would get the third pick. And obviously, who finishes last in the consolation bracket will get the fourth pick. So as for the teams that finish five and six, I'm hoping that Yahoo creates this for you like automatically. But they should face each other, and they would get the fifth pick. And then that person who loses that matchup would get the sixth pick. And then the top four teams, depending on your seeding of where you finish in the playoffs, that's where you will pick. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, it's pretty confusing. But I like the fact that the consolation bracket means something so that teams aren't just selling, that they have some incentive to stay competitive all throughout the year and set their lineup. Um, and it's, we also don't want to incentivize tanking. So keep that in mind as you move forward. You may Maybe as football starting, you're going to start to lose interest in your team because you are losing. Please continue to set your lineup. It's only four more weeks of setting your rosters and making sure you're an active part of our For the Fame League. And it's important because that's how we're going to determine our seating for next year and our draft. And obviously keepers will be due with the final out of the World Series. So hopefully all that makes sense. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to this. I'm sorry I haven't been able to record as many videos as I want. I really intended on doing more of this. Um, but I just really haven't had time with working from home and just being super busy. I have really, really enjoyed this baseball season with you guys. I know it's been the weirdest one. 
Um, I can't wait to be able to hopefully get together with all of you to crown our champion. Hopefully things return to somewhat normal, more normal than they've been, where we can all be together and celebrate our 2020 champion. Uh, obviously, Greg, I would like you there to you know, give out your title and, and crown the new champion with the commish. We need our, our annual picture, and whether that's masked up or not, to be determined. But either way, the title must change hands. And keep this in mind. Whoever wins this championship is well-deserving, and they earned it. Because, again, like I've repeated myself before, keeping your roster intact during the season is the sign of a, a manager who knows what they're doing. The fact that we're even in a competitive league with the teams, the real-life MLB teams as ravaged as they are, is a testament to how knowledgeable you guys are and how great of a league we have here. So I really appreciate all of you. Hope you have a wonderful day. And as always, do it for the fame. Cheeseburger Commission out.